0: great to have you here if you have a bible please open to acts chapter 2 this is also in our app if you go to uh notes all the notes for this morning's message are in our our ignite church app let's pray together father we just thank you that you love us so much you sent your son to die for us you sent your son to rise again for us to give us life and you sent your spirit to empower us and lord as we uh, have a look at this most wonderful sunday we just pray that you would open our eyes so that we would see clearly what you have for us in your word this morning in jesus name and everybody said amen we were driving along the other day and um, i saw a tesla you see a few of them on the road these days now they're quite expensive and fiona said look at that isn't it a beautiful looking car it is a very nice looking car isn't it do you agree i like you know i love it i think it's great but i, th- I thought to myself you know would i really like a tesla and well well i would it, it's, it's been decades since i played with a battery-operated car so I'd probably enjoy it but the thing is I don't want to pay that much money for it. I'd rather buy like a block of flats or something, you know, because it, it's just, you know, if you want it bad enough, you'll come up with the money for it. That's, isn't that true? You know, if people say, well, I, I want that but I won't pay the money, well, you don't really want that because if you want it, you should want it with all your heart. And I do not want a Tesla. Please don't buy me one. Not that you were going to. Acts chapter 2. This is Pentecost Sunday. Let's have a a look at the coming of the Holy Spirit. When the day of Pentecost arrived, this is verse 1, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So that's that's an incredible moment. That is the birth of the church right there. We didn't have a church before then. We had uh, temples, we had temple sacrifices, stuff like that. But this, this very day that we're looking at today is the birth of the church. And Pentecost comes 50 days after Passover in the Jewish calendar. It was known as the harvest celebration or the Feast of Weeks. And it was also associated and uh, Peter was telling me this before uh, it, it, it originally was a harvest celebration It was 50 days after after Passover but then it was associated with the giving of the law and so you know for, for the Jewish people it's a very significant time and Jerusalem at the time was crowded with Jewish visitors from abroad uh, uh, and and in the middle of all of these visitors, all of them there to worship God, this ragtag bunch of people who'd seen their leader crucified gathered in an upper room. And while the rest of the city celebrated the harvest and covenant renewal and all that sort of stuff, this small group of 120 were about to celebrate the harvest and covenant of a different kind. It had never happened before and it was about to happen here. So these guys were scared. They were full of fear and anguish surrounded by people hostile to, to them and to their beliefs that Pentecost wasn't the first Pentecost there had many Pentecosts leading up to us but for us as a church it's the big one because it was actually the birthday of the church how many of you like birthdays? who wants a Tesla for your birthday? see your husband or wife see if you can get it I don't how do you do long trips in a Tesla? anyway Sorry, that's just a random thought. Um, so it was the birthday of the church, and, and it was also, incidentally, the birth of the greatest move of God the world has ever seen. Don't lose sight of that. So why was God's Holy Spirit poured out on this day? Let me give you a few reasons why. First of all, it was a sovereign move of God. What happened that day was sovereign. It was prophesied centuries before by the prophet Joel. And if you look at Acts chapter 2, verse 17 to 21, Peter actually quotes Joel so let's look at what he says Joel said this in the last days it shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh your sons and daughters shall prophesy your young men will see visions that's me your old men will dream dreams that's Kenny Uh, uh, even on my you're younger than me (laughs) even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on earth below, blood and fire and vapour of smoke, and the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass, listen to this, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone. So if you're sitting here thinking, well, I'm a pretty bad guy. I can't get saved. I can't come to Jesus. This morning you can. Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord should be saved. Doesn't matter what you've done. I have led murderers to Christ because murder is not the unforgivable sin. God can forgive murder. He can forgive drugs. He can forgive the way you speak to one another. He is here for you this morning and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It was prophesied centuries before and it came to pass on this day. And it can come to pass this very day, the day of Pentecost, itself was unique there's not going to be another day like that for the church however the day of Pentecost the experience rather of Pentecost should be not unique but something that happens to us every single day do I hear an amen to that and I'll tell you why number two the spirit is indwelling us you see in the Old Testament the Holy Spirit used to was the third person of the Godhead so we're talking about God here right Father Son Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit would descend upon people and would move upon men for a given task at a given time. So great men like King David, Gideon, Moses, Joshua, even Samson, would for a given period of time would be filled with the Holy Spirit and then the Holy Spirit would leave them. And that's the way it was in the Old Testament. But from the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit moved from short-term rental to permanent occupancy. Because now the new deal is this for the first time and from that time on the Holy Spirit indwells actually lives within men and women so the Holy Spirit actually comes in and lives within us do you understand how profound that is the whole of the Old Testament they didn't get this that's why David prayed Lord take not your Holy Spirit from me he was desperate to keep keep God's Holy Spirit with him yet we get the privilege of having his spirit within us every day how cool is that Ezekiel 36, this is another prophet back in the Old Testament, said this. Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will pour within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. How many of you have a stony heart at times? God doesn't want that. He wants to take your heart of stone out and put a heart of flesh in and even more he wants to put his spirit within you the God of all creation wants to live within you and if you let him he will control and direct your life 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16 says this do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you I'm not saying it the Bible is saying it God is saying it that we have after Pentecost the opportunity of God's Spirit dwelling in us and that's why he's saying your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit treat it well don't trash the temple okay some of you trash your temple every Friday and Saturday night don't do it because God's Spirit is living within you you know and, and some of you would look at your body and say I can't imagine God would live in me I mean, this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I've got a porch developing here on the front of my temple. But God's Spirit is living in you. What an incredible privilege. What an amazing thing. The third thing is spirit empowerment. Ephesians 3.19 says this, To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now, what's the fullness of God? Having God's Holy Spirit living within us means we have access to the fullness of God. What does fullness mean? It means the lot. You can go and order life with the lot. Right? Not just. do Do you remember when McDonald's went through this phase? They said you could design your own burger. You can design your own life. It's your choice. You don't have to be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. You can do it yourself. But if you want to, you can design a life with the fullness, the fullness of God. So we don't have to wait for heaven when we die. People say, oh, you're a Christian. You're waiting to die when you, you can go to heaven and to paradise. I've got it now. I've got heaven in my heart right now. To, I, it's not pie in the sky when I die by and by. I want to live heaven right now. And when you're in the presence of God, you you're in. Uh, it's a taste of heaven. So what is the fullness of God that dwells within us? Well, uh, Jesus said in John chapter 14, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. Uh, Josh preached on this last week. Because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So when the Holy Spirit indwells us, he empowers us if we let him. And we should be able to do all the things Jesus did. Heal the sick, cast out demons, miracles. What about this one you didn't think of? Laying your life down. If we have the Holy Spirit within us, if we can do all the things Jesus is, well, Jesus came to earth on a mission to lay his life down to win your soul back. And we can lay our life down for each other. You see, we don't need another Pentecost. We need a personal Pentecost. But Pentecost comes with plenty cost. You have to pay the price if you are willing. It's not something you just stroll into. It's something you, you, you earnestly seek. How many of us could say that we earnestly seek God? You know, we say, yeah, Lord, I, I love you, I seek you, I seek you. But do you? Are you willing to pay any price? <laughs> I ask myself this question. So let's look at the birth of the church and discover what it take, what it means to position ourselves for for a personal revival, a a personal Pentecost. So let me ask you the question. Why did Pentecost happen to these guys? 120 nondescript people in an upper room, why them? There were Jews everywhere. There was a temple. It was very nice, had a slightly ripped curtain, but it was in good shape other than that. Why didn't God pour his spirit out on all those guys, all the religious guys? now remember these people in the upper room had run away they denied him they'd left jesus in his hour of need and even after jesus resurrected they were so confused they just went back to their trade which was fishing they were confused unsure of the future and scared very scared of persecution which was all around them they knew they were marked men and women if they sided with Jesus. So why those guys? What did they have that everybody else didn't have? Well, first of all, they knew Jesus. A few chapters after Pentecost, we read this. When uh, Peter and John are dragged before the Sanhedrin, we read this in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus so these guys didn't hold degrees kudos to all of those who do i have at least one somewhere but the the point is god doesn't just come to people who are smart who are educated who are rich these guys were not these guys were fishermen they're just normal guys and yet they're the ones that were chosen by god to have his spirit poured out on why the first reason is that they knew Jesus. That's the reason. They knew him. So let me ask you, do you know Jesus? If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Think about it. Are you kind of a secret agent Christian who kind of sneaks in, I'll just kind of, you know, every now and then I'll sort of say a prayer, and it'll be really cool. And Or are you someone who stands up for what you believe in? You know this is the greatest opportunity in history to stand up for what you believe in and what makes it even easier is that what they're peddling out there is ridiculous and so we could say no I don't I don't believe in that I believe God created us, man and woman not cats dogs and others they have they have searched for centuries Archaeology has been going on for centuries, cost thousands of years. They've never yet dug up the skeleton of a non-binary person. This is a modern invention. And it's rubbish. You know, we can stand on what we believe. So let me ask you, if you know Jesus, if you know Him enough, we will never taste true Pentecost in our lives until we know the Lord. And that means... Spending time with him in his word every day. That's why we have a Bible reading plan on the app. We have a Bible reading. If you want it in paper, we can get it to you. We can email it to you. We want you to read the Bible every day. Why? Because that's how you get to know Jesus. If I say I love my wife and never talk to her for like 10 years, I don't really really love her and I will not know her. The only way I know my wife... We went out to dinner last night. We're coming back from a conference. We went to dinner. She said, I love going out to dinner because you actually look at me and talk to me. Which is true. It's true. You said that, right? Because we don't talk. We don't love one another enough, do we? If you love someone, you get to know them. And that's what it was like for, for these guys. They knew God. So Bible reading plan, praying, coming to church worshipping him learning more about him growing growing in him obeying his will we met with some pastors yesterday and they were saying that the norm for most churches if it's, if someone shows up once a month that's considered full attendance and and it's not i think we should hurt a little bit more don't you i'm not condemning you or anything i'm just saying if you really want to know jesus show up Because you'll learn more about Him and you'll grow closer to Him. 1 John 2 says this. So this is John writing to believers. And by this we know that we've come to know Him if we keep His commandments. That's a bit cutting, isn't it? Jesus, I love you. I just want to do what I want over here. Don't don't interrupt me. You know, if we love Him, we keep His commandments. We stay faithful to Him. Do I hear an amen? Right? (coughs) goes on to say whoever says i know him but does (coughs) does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him it means words really did he but whoever keeps his word is truly the is in him truly the love of god is perfected if you want to know jesus start obeying him because you will get to know him very well if you stand up for jesus christ if you get into his word And you listen to him so that's the first thing they knew god that's why god picked those guys they're his friends jesus had hung out with them if you claim to be a christian and willfully disobey him you're fooling yourself you're not fooling god you're fooling yourself and you need to stop because he loves you enough to want to get to know you you should reciprocate secondly the people in the upper room were in unity acts 2 1 says this when the day of pentecost arrived they were all together in one place They weren't scattered. They didn't Zoom into the meeting, just, you know, stay at home and and use Zoom to kind of catch up with it, or Facebook or something. Oh, oh, it's on Facebook. I'll check that out. God bless Facebook people. I'm not knocking you. But they didn't do that. They all showed up, and they were together in one place, and they were together. First time, actually, it's the second time that a, a, a car is mentioned in the Bible. They're all together in one place, in one accord. The first one, of course, was Moses going forth in his triumph, but that's another thing. But they might have been scared. They might have been confused, depressed, but they were still together, warts and all. They were there together. How many of you know church is not perfect? Listen, if you're looking for a church, we welcome you today. God bless you. But if you're looking for the perfect church, don't join it. You'll mess it up because you're not perfect. I guarantee you, right? So let's all just be imperfect together. And I love the differences in people. I love the fact that people have different opinions of things than I do. Right? God loves us. See, unity is not uniformity. It's being together. It's being different but the same. It's loving the differences in one another. It's agreeing to disagree agreeably. That's what unity is. And they were in unity. If we want true revival happening in the church... It takes unity. Why would I want to go down to, to um, uh, the church down there in Budrum this afternoon to have a service down there instead of our service here? Because every church on the coast will be represented there. And I want to be part of it, don't you? I want to be in unity. You know, when, when we get to heaven, there's no there's no nations, there's no denominations. Can you believe that? We can sit around and debate theology to the end of time. It won't matter. Because there's, you know, God's not saying, well, I'm going to keep those, but I don't like those, and I don't like the way they do communion, so they're out. He doesn't do that. We, are, we should be in unity because in his eyes we are all one. There's only one church, and that's why I urge you. you know, Come to church. I'm not saying come to our church to boost our numbers or our finances or to fund the building of a toilet, although I'm very interested in, in that. I want you to come to church so that you can be part of what God's doing. I don't want you to hear that revival has broken out in the town of Nambor and you missed it because you're at home watching TV. You know, come and get involved. I believe in a new Pentecost, a new revival is coming to the church, universal, not just here. But we have to be in unity to receive it. 2 Corinthians 13 says this, Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, that's a shock live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you so if you love any doctrine or belief more than you love Jesus and his bride you are wrong you are in sin and sometimes we get so hung up on specific doctrines I urge you to lay them aside and just love one another everybody's not going to agree with you right? right? You might be a Broncos fan. They might be a, you know, a Raiders fan or something. You can still agree. It doesn't matter that you follow a different team. You know what I'm saying? We need to agree on the things that matter. The third thing is those people in the upper room, they were in need. The disciples in the upper room were fearful. They were desperate. John 20 verse 19 says this. The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Jesus had already appeared to them in an upper room, right? And and, and he'd appeared there, and they were, and they but then he'd gone, and they were still scared. A few weeks later, they're once again in the upper room, and already persecution was rising up. And so instead of scattering, they pulled together, and they recognized their needs, and they got together, no doubt to pray and worship God and call out for mercy. They were scared. This was... This, I mean, you, you think it's scary having the, the you know, LBG, agenda chasing you and persecuting you. This was real persecution, all right? Because these guys wanted their blood. But Jesus had said this in John fourteen twenty six. But the help of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance that which I've said to you. So if you are in need today, he sends his Holy Spirit to gather us together and to inspire us and empower us. Isn't that exciting? The fourth thing. This is the scary one. They were desperately hungry. These disciples might have been fearful, but they were desperately hungry. They were actively seeking God, meeting together, crying out to God for guidance. But even so, they would have never foreseen that the God of all creation, the Lord himself, would actually implant in them the Holy Spirit of God to live inside us. They might have remembered Matthew six, uh, 5 verse 6 where Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Then in John 6 uh, John six thirty five, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Those people in the upper room had an intense hunger. So let me ask you, are you truly hungry for God? Are you? Have a look at your life. Are you really hungry for God? I'm not talking about are you interested, are you questioning, or are you maybe wanting God? Yeah, I'd have a bit of that, or maybe God can help me do this and that, as long as it's on my terms, as if God is your servant and not the other way around, as we heard in communion from Deb this morning. I'm asking you, are you really hungry? Are you truly hungry in your spirit for the things of God? I have to confess, there are certain foods I don't like. Believe it or not, I do not like oysters. bravest man in the in history was the guy who first tried one of those. Why would you do it? You know, seriously. I don't like Brussels sprouts and I am particularly not keen on balut. Now, if you don't know who knows what a balut is? Who doesn't know what a balut is? Okay. I, I'm about to take a team to the Philippines and I will be strongly urging them to partake of balut. It is a Filipino delicacy. No, it is. Yeah, do it. Do it. Do it. Um, <laughs> It's it's a duck egg. It's all it is, just an egg, but it's boiled, and the fully formed duck is inside. I'm not kidding. You take the top off, and you see little eyes stare at you, and a little beak says, "Don't eat me." There's feathers. It's it's horrible, and they love them up there. That's why I feel called to the Philippines, so I can redeem them from this stuff. You know, because it's it's really. But I don't like balut. Some of you may. I don't like balut. But I'm telling you, if I was dying of hunger, I would eat Brussels sprouts or balut. If I was desperate, and even oysters, if I was desperate enough. You see, if you are dying of hunger, you will eat anything, even a balut. These people were hungry. And if you are hungry for a move of God, you are desperate enough to do anything, to say, Lord, I will forsake anything. I will let anything go. I will do whatever it takes to have to be touched by you to be filled with your presence that is hunger and that is what we're missing in the modern church because we're too cool for school we've got you know nice facilities and it's air conditioned and we've got nice you know visuals and all that sort of stuff and we are not hungry enough for God we're not be honest well I for one am putting my hand up today and saying I'm desperately hungry for God I want to see a move of God I want to see Spirit poured out. So, what happened at that first Pentecost? Well, as you read on, remember the passage we read before in Acts chapter two. They gathered together and prayed, and then God's Spirit hit the place, causing signs. And incidentally, you, you might say, "Well, that's back in the Bible days. That doesn't happen these days." Yeah, it does. I was involved in an incredible revival in northeast India over a number of years. You've you've never heard of Shillong, have you? or Meghalaya, you have others haven't right but these are just far flung provinces in India but on the kind of the, the bit that's the other side of Bangladesh there's a little bit that kind of pokes out that's where they are, Nagaland near Burma but they have, they have a bunch of people up there and they are Welsh Presbyterians thousands of them, very traditional and, and, and so those of you who think Pentecostals are the only guys who have fun, not true because we went up there and these Welsh Presbyterians were there and, and, and we went up there before the revival hit and it was very staid and very difficult to work in. It was a very, very hard atmosphere for Bill Newman and myself to work in. But then they had a conference to celebrate a hundred years of Welsh Presbyterianism. So the Welsh revival was uh, 1905, I think it was 1907 that they planted the first Welsh Presbyterian church in northeast India so they had a meeting together it was a stadium listen to this it was a stadium that held a hundred thousand people and they had two hundred thousand there they were spilling out the doors windows sides right across the paddock next door right across the middle Two, nearly two hundred thousand people there very staid, very conservative singing hymns very you know praise god oh sorry we don't raise our hand. praise god you know and god hit the joint god poured his spirit out on those people they went into revival that lasted uh, nearly eight years i think every church in town filled to capacity seven nights seven nights a week people seeking god people getting saved left right and center there were pubs and and and, and bars and stuff shutting down it, it was phenomenal i've never seen anything like it and it it was poured out on, on the most unlikely group of people They didn't even have theology to contain this. It was just off the scale. They didn't know what to do. But God in His sovereignty poured this out because they were hungry. So it can happen in modern times. I'm praying that it happens here. I would love a holy catastrophe, wouldn't you? I know God's a God of order, but when things cut loose, let them be, you know. So what happened to that early church? Number one, there was a rushing wind. Acts 2.2, suddenly there came from heaven the sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Jesus had said of the Holy Spirit in John 3, the wind blows where it wishes, you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. The word for Spirit is the Greek word pneuma, which is translated as wind or breath. So both Spirit, wind and breath are from the Greek word pneumae, to blow or to breathe now the sound when god hit the joint was was the sound of a violent blowing wind i reckon it would have sounded like a a a hurricane or a cyclone you ever been in one of those it's loud it's much louder than you think it's not just it's like it's super loud and i reckon that's what it would have sounded like and the fullness of the holy spirit was there loud howling and it symbolizes a pouring out of the spirit of god into the hearts of willing men and women so just as wind is invisible yet irresistible so the spirit of god is the same we cannot control him nor dictate to him on how he will operate i'm sick of people claiming stuff and and ordering god around like that let him be god you know he's god Think he knows a thing or two more than us. And when the Spirit moves, things are always different. When the wind of God blows on a church, the walls of resistance fall and topple, and the church is well on its way to becoming a great church in the kingdom of God. And today I'm asking you to be part of that church. I want to be part of something that's dynamic and happening, don't you? I don't want to go to church and go to sleep. I want to go to church and get set on fire. That's why I called it Ignite. We moved here, we used to live. I, I, in a wooden building it was a step of faith saying ignite wooden building what's wrong with this picture you know but i want to get set on fire don't you that's the second sign tongues of fire the tongues of fire portray the presence of god several times in the old testament god displayed himself in the form of flames and john the baptist said of the coming messiah in, in luke chapter 3 john answered them all i baptize you with water he will baptize you with the holy spirit and with fire fire of the holy spirit cleanses and purifies the church and how many of you know our church needs to be purified talk about the church universal not necessarily us his fire consumes the rags of unrighteousness the dross of pride the stubble of doubt and 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 it conflagrates, which means it spreads how many of you know if you have a fire and you light something and you put stuff around it that burns the fire spreads spirit takes hold of us and makes us what he is a burning flame no believer present that day was exempt from the experience because the flame separated and came to rest on every one of them no one was in the corner saying "Well, i'm not sure i believe in that i haven't got the theology for that they just god just hit the place every one of us individually can receive this fire are you willing to receive the fire of the holy spirit today what a great day to have your life set on fire by the holy spirit pentecost sunday I'm into it it's awesome the third sign <laughs> was the tongues of men the third evidence of the Pentecostal outpouring was people speaking in other tongues in the Greek it's the word heterious glosses uh, and it was undoubtedly in this instance living recognizable human languages in fact the word used in verses six and eight of the same chapter is the word dialecto for dialect and it means language so, this was not an ecstatic utterance. This was people speaking in tongues that other people recognized and understood. They heard tongues proclaiming God to them in their native language. Acts 2, verse 8. How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Acts 2, verse 11. We hear them telling us in our own tongues the mighty works of God. This was a sign of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So, you've all gone very quiet. So let me address a controversial issue. Because I have people say, I don't think I believe in tongues. Well, you should because it's in there. Um, I have people say, yeah, but you know that, that, that was known languages and it wasn't you know, what, tongues that we have today. I believe there are two sorts of tongues. That was known languages. You can't argue against that. that it was, people said, I can hear it and understand it. That works for me. But then in other instances, it is clearly a heavenly language don't believe me let's have a look at it i'm not here to analyze whether your tongue is known or unknown or whether you speak in tongues or not that's god's business his spirit not mine but paul writes this in 1 corinthians 13 verse 1 if i speak in the tongue of men and angels there's the two but have not love i'm only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal okay so clearly in the book of corinthians it is a heavenly language that he's mostly addressing okay so I just want to get that clear if you have a problem with tongues and some of you might please get over it you're not called to judge somebody else's tongue and we are not here to jam it down your throat we could still be in unity can't we but not if we start judging one another for this if you don't speak in tongues just accept that somebody else does and love them if you do speak in tongues just accept that somebody else mightn't and love them anyway can we do that? Tongues is a gift from God. If you want it, ask God. If you don't, then just be in unity with those who do. And let us seek God together. On that first day, it was known languages. I think that's pretty clear from Scripture. So let me ask you, what was the result of Pentecost? All of this stuff, signs, all of this sort of stuff, what was the end result? What was the point? It was the birth of the church. People were filled and empowered with God. But let me tell you how it finished up. What immediately happened after what was recorded as the Pentecost revival. I'll show you what immediately happened. I'll I'll paraphrase it. Peter rose up and started to preach the gospel. 3,000 people came to Christ and the fleshling church began to multiply and spread. People got healed, demons were cast out, lives were set free. The church was born and already they had missions in their heart because they wanted to spread the good news right across the known world. All this happened in a moment. It all started with 120 faithful men and women, scared, fearful of persecution, fearful of being excluded from their their society, perhaps in the name of inclusion, but that's another story. But they were faithful, they were in unity, and they sought God together. So why did Pentecost happen? It took place because God wanted to do something in us. Historically, Pentecost occurred only once, never to be repeated. But experientially and personally, we can have a personal Pentecost available to all of us they say that in that early church from that moment within seven years there were more than a hundred thousand believers that's church growth right there we think we've got it together these guys had something we don't you know what it is they were desperate for it. they were desperate for it every christian has the privilege of experiencing the presence of god's spirit in his or her life If you ask Jesus into your life, His Spirit comes into your life. You may not have the fullness of it at the start, but you have His Spirit within you. Being filled by the Spirit means we can do what Jesus did and even more. Pentecost was just the beginning. You know, the church is now spread right around the world. We need some of that today, don't we? We need some of that hunger today to see the Spirit of God move in our community. If we're going to win Nambor and the Sunshine Coast of Christ, we need the Spirit of God empowering us. We can't do it ourselves. If we're going to transform our nation, and how many of you know our nation needs transforming, it won't be by politics. It won't be by decisions that are made at the top level. It won't be by catering to minorities. The recipe for saving a nation has not changed. 2 Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name will what? Humble themselves and pray and seek my... We've got it right here. And turn from their wicked ways, then I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. If we love our nation and we truly want to bring our people to Christ, we need to be filled with the Spirit. And what better way to do it than to do it together? If you have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, God promises that you will be filled. Blessed is he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, for he shall be filled. It's a simple formula. So this morning, I want you to personally desire a a personal Pentecost and encounter the Holy Spirit. And it might come at plenty costs. Nothing in life is worth... you know, Nothing in life you just get for nothing. You know... There's always a price to be paid. You might say, I'm going to go out and I'm going to, I'm going to you know, do this and party this and whatever. You know, there's a price to be paid. You might say, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to you know, do this with my taxes and just sneak up. There's a price to be paid. There is always a price to be paid. So I'm going to ask you this morning to join me in hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And let us ask the Holy Spirit to fill us. Are you with me? Let's bow our heads. First of all, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you may be wondering what this is all about. And if that's you, I don't want to let you leave this place without giving you the opportunity to ask Jesus into your life. Because this is for you. You can be filled with His Spirit. Your life can be transformed if you let Him. So just as every head is bowed, every eye is closed, I'm going to ask that you pray this prayer with me. If you don't know Jesus as Lord, or if you've been running from him, this is the moment for you. Maybe you've just got out of fellowship with him. Maybe you just, you know, you were a Christian and it's sort of grown cold. Tongues of fire doesn't allow for any coldness. It's fire. So if you've never asked Jesus into your life, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me and we will do it together. Just say these simple words with me. Lord Jesus, I know that I've sinned. I ask your forgiveness for my sin. I turn away from my sin. And I ask you into my life as my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Let me live a life pleasing for you.